This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in Melbourne CBD. Today's big question, why should atheists read the Bible? We asked this question today to Alex McCulley. Alex is an IT consultant based in Melbourne. He also tutors in philosophy at the Centre for Adult Education and he joins me now. Please welcome Alex McCulley. Thank you, everyone. Well, Thank Alex, you, Robert. Welcome to Bigger Questions. My pleasure. Uh, now, Alex, this isn't the first time that we've appeared in a public conversation about the big questions of life. And we did a dialogue during the 2012 uh, Reason for Faith Festival when we met uh, called An Atheist and a Christian Discuss Jesus. Now, that conversation mustn't have gone too badly because you're happy to have another public conversation with me today. Um, did you enjoy the time? Uh, yes, very much. I was a little bit of a late minute stand in for it, but I actually ended up enjoying it very much and and when I've described it to others it's very much a conversation we had Mm -hmm. not a debate as such sure we disagreed on things but there are a lot of things we did agree on but out of that grew where we are today so it couldn't have gone too badly no it couldn't as well um well to kick off bigger questions uh we do like to ask a couple of smaller questions we do try to have a bit of fun on the show today we're asking Alex McCulley about why atheists should read the bible So, Alex, I thought we'd test you today on how much you know about the Bible. Now, do you feel qualified? Uh, Not really, but let's do it. (laughs) Okay, well, today's smaller questions come directly from a survey of religious knowledge conducted in the US. Now, this survey compared different religious and non-religious groups of people on questions about core teachings, history, and leading figures of major world religions. So, Alex, for our quiz, I've chosen the two questions from the survey about the Bible that atheists in general did worst on. Okay, now hopefully you can do better, but we'll see how you go. Okay, there's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, which biblical figure is associated with remaining obedient to God despite suffering? Was it A, Job, B, Elijah, C, Moses, or D, Abraham? Job. I think there's a thumbs up from the front row here. Yes, that is true, correct. In fact, only 42% of atheists got that question right, but you got it right today, Alex. Congratulations. Um, Question two. What are the names of the first four books of the New Testament? That is, the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, I had... (laughs) Sorry, wrong. (laughs) I did have a a gag in the the multiple choice options. That's okay. I was going to suggest, was it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Peter? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Tom? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Or was it Luke, Vader, Yoda, or Anakin? But you've got I it, yeah. missed those so, last yeah, you got it. So, congrats, so you did get that one right, so, which is very good. Only 29% of atheists actually got that question right. But Alex, you know a thing or two about the Bible because you got two, of our, two out of two of our smaller questions right. Big round of applause. May I qualify that by saying it only took me 15 years to get there. Okay, right. Well, you do know a bit about the Bible and a bit better than most atheists, but you've also had a bit of experience in dealing with the Bible. In fact, you even gave a presentation once at the Atheist Society of Melbourne about the Bible. What happened at that presentation? I I gave a presentation called Bible 101 for Atheists because even at that stage, and I looked it up again, it was 2012, I think, I was convinced that atheists should engage with the biblical text. It's an icon in our culture. And so I delivered that and it went over well. Then, and I think what Robert's alluding to, one of the people came up to me and said, are you a Christian? And I was a bit taken back by that. And I realized that 
The same thing happens to atheists who may be extreme, as does with religious people extreme. Unless you fully hold their views, you must be the other person. And that's exactly what I was trying to counter, this idea that it's them and us. I think that's a terrible thing. So yes, that, I think that's probably what you're alluding to. It's quite a surprise, and I then had to convince them, no, I wasn't. I was actually <laughs> presenting in a fairly factual way some useful information, mm. I thought. But you felt there was a, sort of a degree of ignorance, perhaps, with the average atheist there, that you can't actually hold these views and be a thoughtful um, non-believer? Yeah, the group. I delivered to maybe does suffer a bit of that at times, but you have to be careful too, because a bit like saying all Christians are the same mold, all atheists are the same mold. No, it's not true. There's quite a diversity of, of people who still see themselves as atheists, or they call themselves non-believers or secularists or some other word. Uh, so yeah, I'd just be a bit careful about stereotyping them. It was funny, I said them straight though. Just <laughs> set him straight, right. Um, so you, obviously you do identify as an atheist person. Yeah, it's not a term I'm so I'm really comfortable, but you keep referring to me as that and I've accepted it. <laughs> because the problem with atheism is not the opposite of Christianity. It's quite a different thing. Atheism is a, and I, it's not a lecture, but it's a statement about what you believe exists or doesn't exist in terms of God specifically, but can be a, broader than that. Whereas... Christianity covers with it a lot of broader things about behaviour, uh, commitment to certain ideals and what have you. So atheism isn't that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, but it's a term that's out there and providing we're not in the US, it's not too bad for me. <laughs> okay, right. So you mentioned that your, obviously your interest in the Bible was it's, a, it's an icon in our world, but what makes you interested in the Bible? It started because of a challenge to me about not knowing what I was talking about. A good friend of mine at the time, I was arguing against religion, particularly against Christianity, and he just laughed and he said, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, your impression of Christianity is something out of primary school. I had to admit that was the last religious education I had. And so I was a bit hurt by that, but realised on reflection he was quite right. So I went back and then started. That was a 15 to 20 year journey now where I've I've read the Bible, a number of translations of it, dabbled with the Greek. But what's come out of it for me is that it is iconic and it's amazing how much culture, uh, I'm talking books, films and televisions, have biblical references. Now they may be long forgotten, not always, and I think it gave me greater depth. That was one of the greater depth in dealing with that. that. That gave me the intellectual side of it. But the emotional side of it is part of my exploration of meeting people who are Christians, running Christian bookshops, which, as I mentioned earlier, uh, was a threatening experience for me to go to the first time. I found them very warm and very welcoming, and it changed that them and us feeling I had. Mm -hmm. I realised that we're really all trying to do something similar. We're all trying to understand, well, the bigger questions, if I can steal mm -hmm. your tagline, <laughs> but what it means to be human and how we deal with what we do. But we have different ways of doing it. So it also helped me as an individual to open up my discourse with a whole lot of people I wouldn't have spoken to before. Mm. Mm. And it changed, <laughs> and as a quick throwaway, and I realise we have a series of topics to go into, it changed me from the initial question of how could you believe that 
to tell me what you believe, I really want to know, and genuinely listen to someone telling you and sharing their stories. Mm. It sounds and a bit rosy. Perhaps but even changing happened. your mind on certain things along the way as well. Oh, you do. Yes, you do. Yeah. Well, so a few years back, after our dialogue at the Reason for Faith Festival, about three years ago, we caught up for a coffee. Um, it was just mainly just to catch up and say hello, just to say how, see how we're going. Yes. Now, at that meeting, I mentioned that I had these notes uh, to the Gospel of John, which is the word one-to-one. -one. Yes. Uh, and I was wondering if you'd be interested in reading them with me. Now, I was a little bit nervous at that time. I was wondering how you'd react. You're not the only one. <laughs> but, <laughs> so how, did, how did you react when, well, I, when I asked you? I went, what? <laughs> and then I thought... So there was a pause. I must yeah, have there, there was a pause. pause. There was, was a subtle pause. There was a long pause, yeah. I was worried about pause. Um, and then I, I'd gone through Mark and really enjoyed Mark and Luke and Exodus as part of some postgraduate studies. And I thought, well, here's an opportunity to go into a gospel I wasn't familiar with, John, in some depth. And what? it's only going to last two months, maybe three months at the outside. And we'll have a coffee and it will be a bit of fun. And I... That combined with the fact I didn't quite have the courage to say no. <laughs> <laughs> and that was two and a half years ago. Yeah. So yeah. it took us that long. It took us that, yeah, so we, <laughs> it, you didn't think it was going to take us that long. You'd be engaging in the Gospel of John for that long. No, I wouldn't have believed that was possible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's very much. I mean, in fairness, it was an hour, it's an hour get-together with half an hour socials and then the other half going through the books you're holding. Um, line by line, or well, we would read sections and then discuss it. Mm. Yeah. It took us two and a half years to read through the Gospel of John. So were you happy with that pace? That, that worked for you? It actually worked very well, and it's a contrast to the world we're in. I, at times I reflect on the world we're in, and I think we're very much in a soundbite world. Everything's got to be instantaneous. Everything has to be short-term. In fact, I was listening to a sociologist talking about the millennials saying they don't want to own something, they just want to be able to download it or access it. You know, they don't have DVD collections. And so what we did seemed out of kilter with that, but to me, it's such a significant text. You have to dedicate time and effort. You have to have a serious commitment. The other thing I to told me too is I think you need a fellow traveller. Maybe a couple or a small group, there's nothing quite like reading and then sharing your reactions. And we've, I think, developed close friendship to a point we could share pretty openly. Mm. As I said to Robert recently, if he asked me and I didn't want to do something, this time I'd be willing to say no. <laughs> I know him well enough. So that, a lot came out of that. Yes, mm. it was a very valuable two and a half year mm. experience. Now we read using a resource called the Word One to One, which That's was really, right. and one of the things about it, it has the Bible sort of split into smaller sections and a couple of sort of accompanying notes mm. about that. Did, did you find that helpful? It's actually an ideal format. I mean, some of the notes I tended to disagree with, or they didn't quite go deep enough to where we were going. But as a format, it was excellent because you'd go into smaller sections that were manageable within the time frame we allocated, the half an hour. And there were enough questions raised such that I'd go away reading and then come back and then we'd perhaps rediscuss something or move on. So yes, I think they're excellent books, uh, very valuable if it was a group wanting to work through that um, mm. text, mm. yes. Mm. So, you read the Gospel of John a lot longer than you anticipated. Right. Um, what did you gain? A number, a number of things. Obviously, pure knowledge. I mean, it gave me an insight to what John was about, which I'd only previously read the sort of summaries as a very theological document. So, I mean, it's beautifully written. Um, 
the, the remarkable thing was, as time went on, because Robert and I were putting it into practice, no, sounds a bit like we're doing a lot, but we were sharing our social, our personal situations, listening, caring about them, and then we were reading a document which did the same thing, the text. And so uh, Robert asked me about it, what was my favourite area, and I had to think about it, and it was probably the farewell discourse when I think about it, because it was the sort of warmth that surprised me. I thought I'd be dealing with a very spiritual, theological document, somewhat cold, but it wasn't. It was particularly towards that latter part. It was a very warm, caring document. And it reminded me of research, and I won't go into detail, we don't have time, but research I was doing for historical Jesus in terms of the early Christian movement and the way one of the Roman governors represented it. In, and I had that feeling then, this was a few years previous. And I could see where that early Christian movement came from, the sort of, is in the text. That, so yes, that's the surprising thing. And, it, and so it actually, without sounding a bit too cute about it, it gave me a warm glow. Mm, mm. There's also a contrast to some of your expectations or observations of how the church had sort of evolved or became later as well. But I was surprised by how one of the modern church structures, well, be honest, Roman Catholic Church, came out of this because what I was reading was caring and a group feeling of all sorts of people. You know, there was a, a welcoming of all sorts of people with a commitment to faith, but they could have all sorts of social backgrounds. And so, yes, both the Gospels and what I had previously been reading about the early Christian movement, it was hard to see some of the modern versions of that mm. that seemed to me so bureaucratic. Mm. But so, that's still as an outsider. Don't take that as gospel. <laughs> no, well, very well. <laughs> yeah, so something's obviously gone wrong there, perhaps from the original text to the manifestations that people see The translation today. doesn't make sense in terms of the behaviour. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. to me as an observer from outside. Mm. Yeah. So how did other atheists react when they found out that you were going on this journey through the Gospel of John? When I first discussed your suggestion and my acceptance, they thought it was going to be a conversion strategy. So they thought, you know, will I be at risk? Which is not saying much about me, really. Uh, and I said, no, it's not that at all. And really, it's since that time I've tended to talk about it. And I was only sharing previously a funny discourse. Now, here I am an atheist and my partner's the same. So this is not the sort of breakfast discourse you'd expect to hear. <laughs> But we were talking about the Pope going into Myanmar and how he didn't raise issues about the racial tensions because it was going to be a problem. And I said, you know, from what I've read, I'm not sure Jesus would have done that. I think he'd be out there saying where the problem was and lived with consequences there. So mm. there's two atheists talking about <laughs> what Jesus would have done. So that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I also confess, I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading through the Gospel of John with you as well, Alex, and I gained greater insights because I think seeing your fresh eyes, uh, so your fresh eyes helped me to see things in new perspectives, uh, and so I've really benefited and found I, it. I take that a lot because, I mean, you've read it a number of times. This was my first time through. Yes, yeah. yes. So we're asking Alex McCulley today's big question, why atheists should read the Bible. And as part of bigger questions, we also reflect on the Bible because surprisingly to many, it does engage many of the big questions of life. Now, today we reflect on a part of the Bible that, that Alex and I encountered almost three years ago, the very first words of the Gospel of John, John 1.1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Alex, how do you react? No matter what your beliefs are, if your hackles don't come up on the back of your neck when you hear that, are you human? 
it, there's something about it that's very moving. Mm -hmm. It's one of those big picture things that takes you way out of today's moment by moment world. It was a great start. What a prologue. Wish I could write like that. Well, because the prologue of John does set up a number of the themes and ideas does, of the yes. gospel and how, a bit like how, say, an overture functions in an opera or musical. And so did you appreciate the recurrence and the development mm. of those themes throughout the gospel, like the light, dark, discussion of where Jesus was from and what it means to be born of God, those sort yes, of things? Yes, yeah, a lot of repetition in that. And I don't mean that in a, a negative sense. It was a continuity, I suppose, of what... Um, John considers to be the big issues about you know, the life of Jesus. So, uh, yes, it, it was... Uh, I suppose when we first read it, I didn't appreciate that because here we're reading the prologue, and yes, I know it's a prologue, but that's it. You know, it was only as time went on. In fact, there may even be some value, and I have hadn't thought of this previously, of when you're reading John in detail further, is to revisit the prologue mm. a few times, you know, because that will add a bit of depth to the prologue itself. That will, mm. in a sense, flesh it out a bit. Mm. So, yeah. So what particular thing struck you as we read through the Gospel of John, as reading through the Gospel? If you haven't come up in a church tradition, as I haven't, I'm one of those atheists who didn't turn away from religion, I just never had it, the language itself can be foreboding, can be difficult to get into. And so that takes some effort but once you've got into that language, once you start to move into the mindset of the language, then um, that's when I think I got the benefits of it in terms of dealing. These are people who are trying to um, make their way in a fairly tough life. If I can just take a slide aside, it's often been said of philosophy, the great philosophy comes out of people dealing with current issues. You know, great thinkers dealing with what's important to them at the time, but out of that comes universal issues, universal questions. And I felt that here, that some of the text was addressing immediate concerns, you know, with Roman occupation, what have you. But by doing that, they addressed broader issues of what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. Now, a number of questions have come in oh, on okay. our uh, <laughs> text line here from our live audience, which has been great. I'll feed a couple of them in here. Um, did you, Alex, ever feel like it was a coercive or a bait-and-switch? No. I mean, it was a very uncomfortable thing when I realised I had to explore this. And, uh, for example, and I shared this a while back, um, when I first walked into one of the Christian bookshops, it might have been The Word or Kurok, I felt distinctly uncomfortable. Gospels playing, what have you. This is not my world. I was looking for a Bible, by the way. I only thought there was just one version. <laughs> and so then I saw shelf upon shelf. And, but it got to a point where I actually, you'd, if I was near Blackburn at the time, I'd call in for lunch. I got to enjoy the place so much and I enjoyed the staff. They were friendly. They all knew my background. I wasn't pretending I wasn't what I was. And um, so it was initially. Now, in terms of Robert's asking me the question, there probably was a sense of coercion, but I don't think it came from Robert. It came <laughs> from me reacting to it. But no, this has always been my desire to do this, mm. but it's built. Mm. It did, it's nowhere near what I would have anticipated. It's far beyond what I expected I'd be at. Mm. Well, this leads yeah, into sorry, another question, another question from our text line here. Uh, besides the changes you've experienced in your interactions with Christians, what personal changes have you experienced throughout your years of Bible reading? 
Well, I suppose I should make it clear, I haven't changed my fundamental metaphysical beliefs. I'm still what I am in terms of an atheist and I have a naturalistic view of the world. But what it has done is made me a much, I think, kinder person, intellectually kinder. I've gone from being a little bit more away from being aggressive and my idea of aggressive is what probably other people would call assertive. I've never been a nasty person or anything. I've been quite gentle, but fairly particular about things to a much more saying, well, truth isn't quite as simple as whatever line five is on the book. It's a bit more than that. So I, that's probably been the major part for me is it's made me a gentler human being uh, in that sense. I don't know if that addresses it, but that's, <laughs> but that's it, probably... It but the metaphysical beliefs, no. Has it also helped you understand why Christians believe what they believe? Very much. The sense I got both with the early Roman report of the Christian beliefs and what I was reading in John is, you are not alone. That's the sense I got from the people. We are not dealing with this alone. We have something or someone with us. That's the sense I get of Christian belief. And and we've chatted about that, and I said, I can now start seeing the lens that you're seeing the world through. Mm. And to say, well, which part of the corner of the room does God sit in is a meaningless question mm. in that sense. Mm. Yeah. And so did you find appeal then in Jesus? You could see that why Christians would want to follow him? Oh, yeah, I actually quite liked him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was my sort of comment to others, that at the end of the day, and particularly with the farewell, I thought, yeah, I did quite like him. I thought the way he was portrayed in John... Vastly different to Mark. Mark was Mr. Action Man. I mean, you could imagine almost Arnie Schwarzenegger. You know, he was doing this, doing that, doing this, and a little bit frustrated by his followers because they weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer. No, no, that's right. In John, they're much. He's much more caring, a bit more fatherly, or par more like a parent in a sense. So, yes. I did, actually. Mm. Yeah. Another question from yeah. our text line here says, you mentioned some bits you disagreed while going through the book with John, not for arguing sake on the particulars, but what were some examples of bits that you disagreed with? Let me start off by saying what my uh, pact with myself was about our readings, which is I would take the text face value. The area, I suppose, we broke away from that, and, and when I say disagreement, it's more interpretation of words. You know, I would put more emphasis on a verse than Robert would. He would say, oh yeah, that, and I'd say, no, this is really important. That's, that, that's one level. The only area we got to a real disagreement, and not even that, because it wasn't, it was just us moving away from the text only, was the, the consistency of the actual trial and the nature of the trial in John versus other Gospels and the Passover and when that happened and those sorts of issues. And I remember we had only on one session at the most mm. and then next time we sort of moved on. But that's, mm. disagreement's not a good word. It was more different understandings of the same set of words. Mm. Mm. I think mm. that's a better way of putting it. Which in some ways is human, but also we could actually work it out through the Bible. Yeah, and I look, convince you I was right and we were fine. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Athe atheist and author Sam Harris in The End of Faith claims that the Bible contains mountains of life-destroying gibberish. Was that your experience of reading through the Gospel of John? No, I don't. I struggle with that. I suppose, remember, I'm coming not as a, it's the word of God. I'm coming from this a social context. I'm saying, from my point of view, it's a human document. You know, they're people who are inspired in some way. We might disagree with the nature of the, the nature inspiration. Of the inspiration, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't put that sort of accusation against Homer, for example, with the writings of Iliad. It would be a, an amazing claim to make. And I suppose from my perspective, seeing it as a, a cultural icon which also is a resource for me to 
reflect on my humanity, I pick and choose. You know, I decide. I mean, John, I think, is, is fine. But I probably would be careful on some of the Old Testament things. I mean, I'm not going to go out and do the things that we they just, were doing. We have just started reading some Old Testament. Um, yes. The book, the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. I mean, how are you finding that? Oh, very much. Great. Yeah. Not that I'm that negative, I hope. <laughs> but um, It's very different to John. I think it's a great document. It's one I'd highly recommend. It brings you off your pedestal a bit. And that's a good thing for all of us. You know, say, oh, wait a minute. This is not all good, good, good. There are things why... The problem of evil. You know, I love it when people come across the problem of evil for the first time thinking it's, it's a, a really a new, new idea <laughs> that these Christians are going to squirm on this one because they've never thought of it before. Yeah, here it is in the Bible. In the and what was your first question to me about Job? Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. But Ecclesiastes is, is a great text to go through. Yeah. yeah. So, Alex, wrapping up. Yes. As an atheist, why should atheists read the Bible? I came up with sort of three ideas. Two I think are reasonably obvious to atheists and, um, and one maybe not so. The first one is its status in our society. It's, it really is one of the canons of our society in terms of references amongst our literature, uh, films, television. If you watch any of the sort of television shows, they often have quotes to John, which is great from my point of view. I've just read it. <laughs> and so that's one side. It's even in political discourse, the famous light on the hill, which is so part of the American discourse of their Amer what's often called American exceptionalism. Um, so you have that side of it. So that was one. The other is that two billion, or over two billion people in the world today see themselves as Christian. I don't think if I can afford not to engage with those people, I can't say, well, they exist somewhere and I'm not really going to engage. And they see the biblical text as a text of significance, as you do. So I think it's important for atheists to engage with that text, at least to understand the stories, the images, so they can talk some of the language. But there is the third one, which is perhaps a surprising, and it's really come out of my work with Robert, is I think there's a personal development there too. The Bible is a source of many voices and they're all trying to ultimately deal with what does it mean to be human. So I think there's real value in people engaging with those responses. But my only advice at the end of it, it applies both to Christians and atheists, is if you do what we did, which is John, try to approach it afresh. Try not to bring in your church teachings and say, oh, this is my favourite passage, this is my favourite passage, and you just reinforce what you already feel and know. Mm. Try to engage with it, putting yourself back 2,000 years ago, and I know that's hard, into the far flung of the Roman I can, Empire. I can hardly remember what happened last week. No, <laughs> you asked me 2,000 years ago. <laughs> and it's, do it with a fellow traveller, do it with someone else who is also interested. But I, I realise that a lot of atheists wouldn't be interested in doing that, but I think they're missing a great opportunity. Let me leave you with the part of the Bible that moved an atheist and makes the Bible worth reading. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Alex McCulley. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.